Hello, it's Paul Scott here, um, small caps investor, commentator and writer for Off the Small Cap Value Reports for over 12 years now. Um, it's the 30th of December 2023, a Saturday. I'm actually quite busy doing all sorts of year-end tidying up, freezing the prices on spreadsheets and so on, so I can total up my year-to-date uh, performance figures. I'm sure you're probably doing something similar. Um, well, there were only three small cap value reports this week because obviously the period between Christmas and New Year is relatively quiet for company news. But there's always something interesting to write about. And above all, the readers like to uh, comment considerably on their experiences of the year to date. And I always encourage the readers to talk about their successes and failures. And we've had some smashing posts on that. We very nearly didn't have any small cap value reports at all this week. Um, unbelievably, almost, the office told me, oh, we don't require any small cap value reports between Christmas and New Year. Oh, what? What are you all about? That's ridiculous. They're incredibly popular and they get sort of 200 thumbs ups considerably more than the usual ones because after four days off people a lot of people a lot of the subscribers want to get st stuck into the markets again and you know get our adrenaline fix of moving prices and people want to discuss uh, as I say their year-end uh, performance and all the rest of it and come up with ideas and outlooks for the new year so it's actually one of the most important periods I think for the small gap value reports so I decided well I'm either going to resign or I'm just going to ignore the instruction and publish anyway so I uh, decided to publish and be damned and I'm glad I did it was the right decision and a bad decision at head office but anyway let's move on um, I'll rattle through the three reports because there's not really much of interest and then I want to talk more generally about 2023 as a whole and um, do a sort of mini audio review of it really. Obviously I'm going to do a more detailed write-up on my uh, 2023 share picks and their performance um, but that's going to be quite a big article to write, so I'll be busy doing that over the next few days. I'm not really intending to celebrate New Year's Eve because it's it's pretty pointless, isn't it? It's just a numeric changer in the date. Anyway, um, right, going on to starting off with Wednesday, 27th of December, I just covered three companies. There was WH Ireland, the very small stockbroker. Um, now, actually, these numbers, well, it's loss making. Um, and it's never really made a significant profit for many years. You do wonder why it's remained listed. And it's been a very bad investment in, in 2023, has WH Island, because it almost went bust and had to do an emergency fundraiser at a discount. So the share price is now only 3.5p, 8 million market cap. The interim results were poor. But um, underlying loss before tax of 1.8 million. Remember, that's just a half year. So really dreadful figures, actually. But I did see signs of um, something potentially interesting there in that they've um, bitten the bullet and WH Island has made deep cuts to its cost base, 3.8 million annualised. Large reduction in headcount, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry for the staff they had to let go. But, you know, in tough times, businesses have have to right size the overhead base for the circumstances they're facing, unfortunately, don't they? Um, and, you know, it's pretty easy to work out that 3.8 million cost savings and a 1.8 million H1 loss means that on an annualised basis, it should now be trading around break even. Um, and obviously, you know, markets could well improve in 2024. It looks like things are going that way. And the balance sheet, net tangible asset value, is 8.5 million. 
the same as the market cap. So actually, um, also I noticed that uh, WHR only has very minor lease liabilities. So you don't have to worry about it having expensive, uh, under-occupied, swanky offices in the city. Uh, they've got quite a nice office, but it looks like, from the lease liabilities, are very small. Looks like it must be on a short lease or something. Um, <clears throat> I used to have my pension actually with WH Island, and uh, yeah, I found them. I found them pretty good. Um, a bit expensive though. That was the only thing. So I moved to a low-cost uh, online platform to save on on fees. Uh, what are we saying here? So yeah, I think actually overall the shares are not looking too bad. Now WH Ireland has refinanced, its cash position and balance sheet are okay, and trading in future should be sort of break even or better, I think. So I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't um I wouldn't completely rule this one out as something to have a look at. Uh, although I think probably I favour of the smaller brokers, I favour Cavendish, which Graham wrote about the week before, which of course is the merged entity of Sencos and FinCap using FinCap's uh, original listing. That's a bit bigger and has more clients than WH Island. Okay, on to the next show I looked at on Wednesday, 27th of December. This was Agronomics, A N I C. Uh, 95 million market cap at just under 10p a share. Now, I've not come across this company before, but I thought, well, let's check it out. It's a Jim Mellon vehicle. Jim Mellon, of course, the uh, serial entrepreneur, uh, seems to create companies um, in any sort of hot area uh, with, with mixed results, I think it's fair to say. But obviously, he's a very wealthy, highly successful man. So um, a lot of people follow him, as indeed do I. Now, this agronomics, what, what does it do? It's an investment vehicle for buying uh, stakes in cellular, cellular agriculture companies. So it's things like lab-grown meat. Um, uh, I think it's also um, the, this vertical uh, farming. I don't know if you've seen that. It looks really, really interesting, where they grow fruit and vegetables indoors vertically, up these structures with, uh, you know, um, water and fertilizer all pumped directly to the roots. I don't think they even use soil, or maybe I imagine that. And artificial light that's a special type of light that makes the plants grow. And anyway, the bottom line is the, um, the you actually get remarkably high, you know, many multiples of the normal output from each acre of ground. Although, of course, to actually make a building and to put all this equipment in would be extremely expensive per acre, I imagine. But very, very interesting area. And with so many more people on the planet, obviously, agriculture is going to have to um, adapt and advance, continue to adapt and advance. So I like the idea of actually buying shares in this thing to, as a way to get exposure to this interesting growth and technological sector without us having to make the stock picks ourselves. So I quite like the look of this, Agronomics, <coughs> A-N-I-C, and it's trading at a discount to net tangible asset value. Uh, NTAV is 168 million and the market cap is 95. So that's quite a substantial discount. Now, what did I look at? Was it final results? Yeah, for June 2023. So rather late getting the accounts out, but um, at least they're out without it being suspended. I'd like more prompt accounting, really. Uh, um, now, it's um, it, it, it showed a profit, but the profit all came from marking up the value of the investments. The narrative said that it's prudent the way they value them, but I've only got their word for that. And um, as one of the readers, we had a good reader debate about this, four or five readers 
chip their comments in. And as one of them pointed out, a lot of the investee companies are loss-making um, <clears throat> sort of blue sky type projects. So there can be or, or almost certainly will be and have been follow-on founding rounds. <coughs> so uh, agronomics might need to raise more capital to put into these funding rounds. And somebody, one of the readers had actually met the management and said they seem really switched on and they they do seem to be expert in this field. So I think that one's quite interesting anyway. As ever, we never make recommendations. We just give an opinion. I think it's I think it's something that I might want might look into a bit, maybe even dabble in a few. Although the shares haven't really gone anywhere. Um they've come down from a, a big spike up, I think to about thirty P. They're now down to about ten P. So who knows? Maybe this is the time to be uh having a look at it when it's out of fashion. Mojo McGoz put up some uh, very useful additional points where he pointed out that Jim Mellon's outfit, which owns 15% of the company, has some sort of, uh, you know, skims off some sort of money in a management fee. So <clears throat> that's the only trouble with Jim Mellon vehicles. You often find that the, the, the water's muddied by arrangements that seem to favour him. Um, above other shareholders so you need to look into the detail on that one right super dry now this was press report saying um in the telegraph which was picked up by retail, retail gazette super dry sdry obviously the uh mid upper mid um brand that seems to be in its death throes judging by its numbers um it's looking to sell off more brand rights uh, in the middle east and usa which the press say is could bring in tens of millions well they need it because they're losing tens of millions from trading losses so uh the shares really now at 36p that's 34 million market cap a little more than a call option on super dry surviving in its current form now one of the brokers has put out a revised uh, note which we can't see but thankfully one of my friends uh emailed me the key points in it thank you for that it's um indicating a 45 million pound loss for april 2024 and you've also got to bear in mind that the cash loss could be even worse than that although you have got depreciation charges to add back in but they've also made impairments against loss making shops um, which mean, doesn't mean that the uh, which which limits the effect on profits, but of course doesn't limit the effect on cash. So this thing I think is heading for disaster. I think you need to be really really careful with Super Dry. Uh, I think it's got a few more months. Maybe maybe it might get through most of 2024. I just can't see it surviving unless it starts reporting strongly positive uh, like for like sales and the margins are depressed because they're still clearing overstocked product so i've said here it's just for gamblers and traders now so okay that was monday 27th of december no it wasn't it was wednesday 27th of december right on to what was this thursday 28th of december uh i was staying with family but i'd taken my little laptop with me we had a lovely christmas uh oh, i was so tired oh i think once you actually wind down from work you just go oh and collapse, don't you? So I was sleeping a lot of the time over Christmas. But anyway, it was nice to have a good rest. I only looked at two companies. Um, oh, I should say also, because the office are concerned that the small cap value reports are so popular, they crowd out other content on the site. Although there actually wasn't an awful lot of other content on the site over Christmas and New Year. But I'm what I'm now doing to make sure that doesn't happen, I'm flagging up other uh, interesting articles written by other Stockopedia staff at the top of the small cap value reports. 
uh, to flag up stuff that's interesting. So on Thursday, the 28th of December, I flagged up Keelan's review of the mining sector in 2023. Not a sector I follow, but a lot of people do. So I thought that was a good. I had a skim of the article. I thought it looked very good. So I published a uh, link to that. I also published a link to probably the best article of the week, no, without doubt the best article of the week, from R. Graham, Graham Neary, um, my co-writer at the Small Cup Early Reports. He uh, wrote a brilliant review of his 2023 top 10 share picks. So what Graham and I both did is we took the view, look, we're, share, we're stock pickers, so we should be able to prove with hard uh, data and results that we can outperform the market. So for that reason, I don't know why we haven't done it. Re well, actually, I have done it previously. In 2015, I set up, a, well, Ed set up a fantasy portfolio call, which he called Beam Me Up, Scotty, Beam Us, which I thought was quite funny. Now, that ran for several years, and it was an absolute roller coaster. It went up, it doubled, and then it halved in, in the COVID crisis. Then it quadrupled. I mean, it was all over the place. Bit, bit like my own personal portfolio, actually, because I picked sort of, you know, special situations, high risk type things, which people always do in share competitions, don't they? Because you want to blow the lights out and um, and and come top. But it doesn't, it doesn't usually work. But anyway, over, uh, I think it ran for four or five years and it forebagged over that period. Um, so uh, Beam Me Up Scotty, my share picks over, I think, I think it was a five-year period, did did pretty bloody well. So I think that, but then, of course, the site was changed. And unfortunately, we lost the fantasy portfolio function, which was such a pity. I hope they bring that back at some point because uh, everyone, everyone really liked that feature. Um, so, I, you know, and, and then I suppose the only thing that matters really is real life performance, isn't it? And I've just updated my spreadsheet. And since I took control of my um, SIP, which was in 2012, so that's now 12 years ago, uh, that has achieved 22% annual compound growth, uh, which I think you'll agree is pretty bloody good. Now, that has benefited a lot from a spectacularly good year this year, 2023. But I think, I think at the end of last year, my CAGR was something like... 15 or 16 percent something like that well it shot up to 22 percent this year because i've had as i say i've had an absolutely stellar year this year but i'll come on to that a bit later so um i think that demonstrates over a 12-year period a very very strong 22 percent compound annual growth rate that yes i am a good stock picker obviously we all get some right and some wrong but you know over a 12-year period i think that's long enough to demonstrate that um that you know, I'm in the right uh, in the right field. Now, obviously, I've also had uh, leveraged punting accounts, which were just bonkers, absolutely mad ups and downs. I mean, I'm talking multi-million pound swings up and down repeatedly. So I just decided in the end to just, and I've done a lot of good things with the money actually, overall over the years. Um, you know, and I just decided that I had to stop. So after after blowing up, uh, my uh, losing two million quid in my Spreadex account in 2022, I thought enough of this, it's too stressful. So I just closed all my geared accounts. So 2023 has been an entirely ungeared uh, performance from me. And it's been very, very good. I've achieved gains that I didn't think were possible without gearing. I have to say, again, I don't want to, to sound like I'm bragging, but my percentage portfolio gain this calendar year is actually in triple digits percentages which is is is, is astonishing that's with no gearing so um yeah but why because i concentrate my portfolio and sometimes that's disastrous as it was in 2022 
So I needed a triple digit percentage game this year just to get back on track. But it's 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 happened, thank goodness. And also I've picked special situations where I see multi-bagging potential. And I've had two serious multi-baggers this year that I was quite concentrated in. So that's how... I've, so I'm certainly not recommending this approach because it's very high risk and it wouldn't suit many people at all. But, um, you know, for money you can afford to lose, I not that, not that I plan on losing it, um, it's, an, it's an approach that suits me. And anyway, it's worked well this year. So there we are. That was that. What, so, so yes, so that's basically what I'm talking about. I'm a stock picker. I'm not buying the whole market. I don't care if small caps as a whole underperform other markets because I'm just delving in and picking, you know, literally a handful of individual share picks. And what I would say is as well, lots of friends this time of year are posting their performance figures. And I'm so thrilled to see nearly everyone now saying, oh my God, the last two or three months have been fantastic. And I'm now, you know, positive or strongly positive for the year. Uh, it's so good to see that. And I'm so pleased people stayed the course. And, you know, as I've been saying all year, you know, this bear market will end. We're nearer the end than the beginning. And I think that's absolutely been proven right. You know, when when you have so much value on offer combined with so many takeover bits, you know, the market's cheap. So. Uh, and, and, and that's exactly how it's played out. So well done to everyone who held their nerve. And, you know, the trouble is the people who were frightened off and sold at or near the lows and are sitting in cash. You've missed the boat. We've had a, st a stunning, well, no, not completely, but you, if you're not in the market for the best, for the initial phase of a bull market, and I think that's exactly what this is, uh, may not be. We could see uh, the market rally fizzle out and reverse. We just don't know. But I think this looks, has all the hallmarks to me, uh, just based on my experience and my hunches, I think this is the start of a new bull market. And if you weren't invested in these cheap stocks, you've missed a, a, a whacking great um, chunk of it. This is why, you know, I always stay invested if I think we're near the end of a bear market. That's the time to be really getting enthusiastic and positive about the value on offer, which is what I've been on about in these podcasts, certainly since the summer anyway. Um so there we are. Sorry, they're completely unstructured. I'm just rambling all around. Oh, here we are. Now, because of friends posting all their, their results, some friends, as always, have done stunningly well. I've made a six-point list of what I've noticed in the best-performing uh, small-caps investors in my network. People who I've followed for years, who I know have got shitloads of money uh, and, have, and have made it from stock-picking. These are the guys to follow. And you'll probably know uh, some of them yourselves from Twitter and so on. Anyway, these are the six things these guys do. So uh, pin your ears back if you're a novice investor, because this is basically telling you how the pros do it who make seriously good money, as I have observed. Point one, they're highly selective. They're not buying, you know, a huge number of shares. They say no to practically everything. So highly selective. They concentrate into a few of their best ideas. Oh, sorry, concentration, that was point number two. Concentration. Uh, these guys generally put most of their money in their top ten shares, or even their top five. So they heavily concentrate their portfolios, but then they quite often have a long tail, 
of smaller positions where they want to closely monitor, see what, what happens, and then, you know, if something, if they're convinced, and they research them all continuously over years, you know, it's not a one-off process researching companies, it's a multi-year, it's an ongoing thing forever, because everything's changing all the time, isn't it? So yeah, concentrating their money in their best ideas, but having a long tail of small ideas is what the most successful investors seem to do, from my observation. Point three, successful investors, they do lots of work. Uh, it's very true that the harder you work, the luckier you get. It really is. And the guys I know who've really blown the lights out this year and, and who seem to do almost every year, they're the guys, you know, who are getting out there for company meetings, contacting management, having Zooms with them, you know, visiting sites, uh, plus looking at hundreds of share ideas, rejecting nearly all of them, but then doing the deep research into the best ideas. And a lot of it, actually, it's not just reading the RNSs and listening to the companies. A lot of it is actually talking to competitors, talking to customers. Um, somebody quipped once a few years ago that really, when we're, when we're doing research on shares, we should be employing a private investigator rather than a statistician. And I think that is really, really good point. So point three, the most successful investors do lots of work and they enjoy it. That's the other thing. Shares, investigating companies is fun. It's enjoyable and it's absolutely thrilling when you get that feeling of, oh my God, this is going to be a multi-bagger. I've just found something amazing. That's the, one of the best feelings in the world, I think. Point four, successful investors are independent thinkers. I was going to put down contrarian thinkers, but I don't think it's necessarily being a case of being contrarian. Uh, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. I don't think being contrarian is a goal in itself. I think in some situations it's uh, very sensible to be contrarian, but in others it isn't. So being an independent thinker, I think, is crucial to success because some of the best investment gains are made when you buy something that everyone else hates uh, certainly that's my experience i remember when my, my best ever investment was in indigo vision about 20 odd years ago i bought eight percent of the company when the market cap was only two million everyone thought i was a nutcase and everybody just told me it's absolute rubbish you know the company's going nowhere and, da, 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 and it 30 bagged so um I just, I just did my research. I, I flew up to Edinburgh, hired a car, went to see the company, um, you know, talked to the management. And, you know, really doing that in-depth research is what's going to give you an edge, give you an angle that other people haven't spotted. And that, I think, is crucial to success. But there are other approaches, you know. I'm just talking about the most people, most successful people I've come across. Point five, patience. Everyone says this, don't, don't they? But it's true. We're all so impatient these days in this world of sort of instant gratification and, uh, you know, short attention spans. And I'm as guilty as anyone of that. We're all looking at our share prices during the day when we should really switch off the, 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 the tab with the prices on. And instead, you just end up ticker watching and you've wasted half your day. Um, when we, what we should be doing is have our head buried in an annual report and really finding those bits and bobs buried right at the back in the notes that no one else has spotted. So um, being patient, I think, is so crucial. Just letting a good position run and not judging success or failure by the short-term share price, but instead judging success or failure by the, by the company's results and the outlook and the valuation. It's so sad to see so many people just ditching good companies, good shares at really low irrationally low prices just because they've 
they can't take the pain, they haven't got the patience, and that you usually end up kicking yourself. We've all been there, we all do it. I mean, this is memo to self as much as anything. And finally, point six, successful investors are happy to change their mind. Um, and they're happy to sell if the facts change, or even if they just get uncomfortable, that something doesn't feel quite right. So the best investors in my experience do not wed themselves to any one share, don't become a cheerleader for it online because then you feel you can't sell. We've got to um, be very ready to change our mind. And that's certainly what Graham and I try to do with the small gap value reports. We don't have a house view on any particular stock. We have a view on that stock on one particular day. And then if it puts out an update that we don't like, we'll change. We'll just say, well, the facts have changed or the facts have improved. So we're, you know, we're not wedded to negative views on companies that are performing badly. If they do a refinancing and they put out a more positive outlook, we'll turn positive on it. So I think keeping that open mind uh, about all companies, except if you know that they've got really awful dodgy management, you know, or something like that. There are some companies that are just uninvestable because of the people running or backing them. So anyway, I thought that was quite a useful list to share with you. Six points for uh, uh, the most successful small caps investors I've observed. Number one, highly selective in their stock picks. Number two, they tend to concentrate their portfolio and their best ideas. Number three, they do lots of work and they enjoy it. Point four, they're independent thinkers. They don't follow the herd. Point five, they're patient. And point six, they're happy to change their mind. I thought that was quite good, actually, so I thought I'd share it with you. Oh, dear, I think this is, this is just rambling all over the place. So just recapping on performance, then. I've mentioned that my own personal portfolio did triple-digit gains this year, so that's fantastic, and 22% compound annual growth rate for the last 12 years, so that's very, very good. Um, now, Graham really uh, should take a bow here. His portfolio, I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier, sorry, um, his top 10 share picks for 2023 achieved, published on Stockopedia at the start of the year, so you can check the numbers. He's done a brilliant review of it. I've got to read it again, actually. Uh, he got, he hit a really big winner with the Numis takeover bid, and he had at least one other big winner. And in a portfolio of 10, of course, that results in a fantastic overall outcome. And he didn't have any significant mistakes. That's the other thing. So he did 25% gain for the year in that top 10. Absolutely brilliant. You know, Graham really knows his stuff. He's a former fund manager. You know, he's um, he really knows his stuff. So um, I'm sure we'll all be tuning in very, very closely to Graham's top 10 share picks for 2024, which I imagine he'll be publishing soon. Um, <clears throat> now, my top, tw I did a top 20 list for 2023, which also did very well. I've closed off the numbers now finalised them on the spreadsheet, that did plus 17%. Now, I've benchmark it, ben, benchmarked it against AIM because the majority of the shares are AIM listed. Now, AIM, AIM finished the year down 8%. So that list of my top 20, and this is not easy to do uh, with 20 shares, outperformed AIM by 25%. I'm thrilled with that, I really am. It's not as good as Graham, although just like companies produced their statutory profit and their adjusted EBITDA, I've worked out my own adjusted EBITDA because my list did contain two errors. 
I included Watkin Jones, which, uh, uh, whilst at the same time slagging it off in the small cap value reports, saying it, well, I was expecting a profit warning. So why I put it into the top 20, I have no idea. That was a, that was a stupid mistake. So if we adjust, my adjusted EBITDA takes out Watkin Jones, and I forgot to put in one of my favourite shares, which was Warpaint. We've been raving about that for two years in the small cap value reports, as everyone knows. But, oh, God, I had a brainstorm and didn't put it into my... Um, into my watch list for top 20 for, for the year. So if I adjust for those two errors, it took my performance up from 17 plus 17% 17 to plus 25%. So on, on an adjusted basis, I'm level with Graham. <laughs> but of course, you can't adjust a watch list, can you? That was what it was published as. Uh, that, so I have to I have to live with the comparative shame of only achieving 17%. But still, look, both of us did bloody well, but Graham especially. Um, that covers that. What about the indices then? Oh, well, um, they're, they're stunning. I've just been looking at all the charts of all the main indices. Absolutely stunning Q4 rally. Uh, as I say, we don't know if that's going to stick or if it's just a, um, a, you know, bear markets are well known for having very powerful rallies. But this feels different because it was over about a th uh, two and a half month period. And it's sort of had little pullbacks along the way. It's on from the charts. It basically looks like three rallies with small pullbacks along the way so that is quite different to what's happened previously it looks to me like this is the start of a new bull market but i'm reluctant to buy anything fresh now um because of course we've so many of the cheap things have gone up 20 25 in the last quarter uh anyway for the full year calendar 2023 FTSE 100 was up 4%, plus, of course, you've got your dividends on top of that. So actually not a bad year. It ended the year at 7733. Now, the FTSE 250 is the most remarkable one. This is the mid-caps. It ended the year only up 4%, well, up 4%, same as the FTSE 100, at 19690. But check this out. In the last two months, the mid-cap index rallied 17% from the October low of 16,850. That's a stunning um, recovery in mid-caps, isn't it? Really imp impressive. Again, it, it, this is why I think it's so important to remain fully invested when things are dirt cheap, because blink and you miss those rallies. Uh, now, aim all share, still a laggard. Yeah, it ended the year down 8% at 763, but it bounced about 13% from the October lows. Um, still rich pickings in the Amol share index, I think. As you know, as I always say, about two-thirds of the companies there are absolute junk, and about a third are pretty good and worth looking at. Now, the, the fully listed small caps index, I use SMXX, uh, because that excludes investment trusts. That actually finished the year up, up 7%, compared with that aim, down 8%. There are much fewer shares in the um, small caps index, though. It's only about, I think it's only about 150 shares or something like that. It's not many. Um, that ended the year at 5354. And that, as I say, up 7%. It tends to be more sort of traditional staid type small caps. Um, in the top rises, there were not many really big rises in the small caps index. Whereas on the AIM index, you've got had some absolute stunning multi-baggers. Uh, the biggest one, of course, being my biggest holdings, Plexus, P-O-S. Although I, only, I, I caught the move uh, nearer the middle of it than the beginning. With that 10 bagged this year. And I think it's got a lot more in it. But that's dependent on more contract wins.
So uh, it's in the lap of the gods of Plexus, Plexus but uh, I remain uh, very bullish on that. Um, but as I say, we'll just have to wait for the news flow. Uh, now, by comparison, I looked at the American indices. The S&P 500 is up 24% year to date. So America's just massively outperformed again, hasn't it? With such a heavy weighting towards the top 10, uh, sorry, the top seven tech giants. Um, I don't know what the, you know, I don't know what the figures look like for the sort of lower tiers of companies within the S&P 500. And NASDAQ up 42% year to date. Stunning, isn't it? So, um yeah, you know, you can see why a lot of people have given up on the UK market and are just focusing on American shares instead. I don't blame them. It's a perfectly good strategy. But there again, that leaves less, less competition for me and others who do. Um, and it gives us lower prices because, of course, they're selling their UK stocks in despair and pushing the prices down and handing bargains on a plate to the likes of you and me. So every cloud has a silver lining, doesn't it? Now, I wanted to talk about investing themes. for No, let's finish the individual stocks. Hang on a sec. Oh, that was it. I was in the middle of Thursday's report, wasn't I? 28th of December. Sorry, this is how my brain works. It hops about from one thing to another uh, in a completely unstructured way. So that's just me. <laughs> I looked at a thing called Tribe Technology, T-R-Y-B, 19 million market cap. This is an Australian company um, that was created in 2019. It's kind of blue sky-ish. Um, it makes self-propelled capital equipment land-based drilling rigs. For the mining industry, the idea being, I had a rummage through its website, the idea being, idea being that Tribe Technologies uh, products are, you know, more efficient, cheaper to run, safer, less, fewer people required to operate them and so on. Now, the interesting thing is it's a zero turnover business. So why the hell did they list it on AIM? I wish people, these brokers, would just stop floating. Jam Tomorrow Blue Sky Projects. It's, the stock market is the wrong place for those type of things. You know, you should only float things that are established businesses and profitable, in my view. Because the trouble is they always need to come back for more money. And then the market's not interested by that stage because they always miss the targets. And the share price goes down 90% plus. It's just, oh, it's shocking the way... Um, this this cycle keeps repeating. Anyway, look, uh, Tribe Technologies is doing relatively all right. It floated at 10p. It's now down to 8.5p. It announced in a trading update um, some delays to projects. It's got two big orders from mining companies for just over £10 million worth of kit, which they're manufacturing in Belfast. Nice to see um, some UK manufacturing. I went through the slide deck and the emission document, wrote, a, wrote a, a, a short summary of that. Now, bottom line, it looks potentially interesting, but they didn't raise enough money. Uh, Allenby floated this thing, um, and it was 10% of the money was EIS VCT money, which, as we know, comes with huge tax breaks, so it tends to attract more um, punting money because of the tax advantages, less discerning uh, investors, shall we say. Um, Anyway, I think it needs more cash, and with the uh, it benefits considerably from tax credits as well, development uh, tax credits. So I've concluded here. I think I quite like what it does, the products, but we don't know if it's commercially viable um, yet. It's undercapitalized and it's jammed tomorrow. It can't afford any project delays, but that's exactly what's just happened. So yeah, I'm sorry to say it, but I'm. I'm going to watch from the sidelines with Tribe Technology. Um, I'm not. I'm not slagging off the company. I just think it should have floated with more cash. I think it's got a major shareholder as the founder CEO as well. Um, 
Anyway, yeah, let's keep an eye on it. We don't, we don't have to buy shares in it at this stage, do we? Then I did notice, actually, it put out its accounts the next day, which there was no surprises in there. Zero revenue, basically, which we already knew about. And um, I think it's I think it looks like cash is getting tight again on that one. So I've had no choice. I've had to mark Tribe Technology as red just because I think it's undercapitalised. But maybe, maybe it succeeds. I wish them well and I'll follow it with interest. Now, Chill Brands, oh dear, C-H-L-L. This is this thing that makes consumer products nicotine-free vaping. Good for them. I hope it catches on, but it won't because it's the nicotine here that people want when they vape. Uh, and also some sort of CBD, this cannabis-derived um, thing, and it's got a website called chill.com. The figures are diabolical. H1 revenue, 83 grand. What a joke. Loss after tax was 1.6 million in H1, and it's got negative end, net tangible asset value. I've said here it, it's only got enough cash for another six months. It'll almost certainly have to do another fundraise in early 2024. So why get involved? I'm sorry. You know, it's another example of a jam tomorrow company that's undercapitalized. Anyway, thank you to everyone who gave a thumbs up to Thursday's report. 204. I mean, you can't argue with that, can you? If the readers want the content, they'll get it. Right, on to the last SCVR of the year, Friday 29th of December 2023. Two crap companies and one good company is the short version. <laughs> now, the first one I looked at uh, was Sondrell Holdings, SND. Absolutely disastrous recent float. That dropped 54% to 3.75 pence. It floated around 60p. Uh, in October 22, it's a chip designer, and they're, I mean, they basically announced we're insolvent. So I don't understand why it wasn't put into administration. They couldn't make their December payroll. Well, if you can't pay, as I've commented here, if you can't meet your liabilities as they fall due, that is the definition of insolvency in UK insolvency law. So I don't understand how this thing is still trading. And the, the risk is that the management and... Um, uh, directors could become personally liable for the debts of the business because that's what ins insolvency law stipulates if you continue trading whilst insolvent you uh, the the veil of um uh, corporate uh, what do you call it uh, independence for, for it, it drops away and the can't remember the term sorry and the uh, the directors become liable for the debts if they continue trading whilst they're insolvent but it's said here that management and most of the staff have agreed to defer the salaries so I sp uh, until milestones payments are received hopefully in January and February so there's 1.7 million of, uh, of milestone payments that were expected which haven't come in uh, because of problems with a particular project um, and it says here it will need additional funds before the end of March 2024 or earlier if the milestone payments have not been received. So it's an absolute disaster this is. So really I think the existing equity is probably worth nothing and uh, management owns 45% though, the CEO. So it's a, the, it's a small shareholders now, you're completely at the mercy of what the big shareholders decide to do. You know, the, <coughs> the you could get a pre-pack admin where the assets of the business and the staff Chupy over to Nuco, owned by um, owned by management for all we know. So I think you just have to work on the basis that existing equity could be worth nothing. In fact, highly likely is worth nothing. Um, or they may decide to save the company and uh, do a placing. But you know what price would that be at? A penny, half a penny? You just don't know. Or the CEO, I don't know how much money he's got. He might just say, well, let's do a placing at a premium to restore confidence in the share. You know, it could it could go any way. But because I have no way 
of uh, determining which way it'll go, I can't value the shares at anything other than zero. So um, I did notice Sundral shares bounced a little, a little um, <clears throat> on Friday because this profit warning actually came out on Thursday. But anyway, I've just flagged it as red. You know, I can't possibly invest in things like that where you have to take an immediate potential 100% loss risk. It, you know, if you're going to get a 10 bagger out of it, fine. But if, you know, it, you're only in it really for a 30 or 50% bounce, risking 100% of your money to get a 30 or 50% bounce, which is an uncertain outcome, uh, is bad risk reward, is bad money management, I think. So I'm not going near Sondrell. Um, <clears throat> also, Sieta, S-E-D, this is terrible as well. It's, it's um, I looked at its interim results, negligible revenues, huge loss. It burns so much cash, Sieta does. This is the thing that claims to have developed some amazing revolutionary electric motor drive system <coughs> for electric vehicles. Got some orders from India. Um, but the figures are just terrible. 7.9 million loss in H1. And it's run out of cash. Only half a million cash at the end of September. But it did raise 7.1 million in a fundraise in December. But it says here, it's material uncertainty going concern statement. Um, and it's only got enough cash to last until March 2024. Which means that the begging bowl is going to be out probably again in January, isn't it? So I think with Sayata, the story's wearing very thin. I just wouldn't touch it. I can I can afford to wait on the sidelines and see if they start to move towards if if and when it reaches a tipping point where it's starting to become a commercially viable company, then you know that's the time to get involved, isn't it? You probably pick up your shares for tuppence each or something. Um, but in in the in the in the heavily cash burning sort of speculative phase, I don't see why you would want to own the shares during that phase where it's constantly diluting. I, uh, I I watch these things, but I don't get involved until there's a positive tipping point. Finally, the only decent share of the day was Duke Royal Duke Royalty D U K E. Now Graham normally covers this, but I had a quick look at it. But unfortunately, I ran out of time because my nephew and his girl and his fiance came round for breakfast, uh, and then I had to hop on a train back to London. So I did have to rather rush that section. I had a quick look at Duke Royalty. It's an investment company that uses mostly equity, but also a bit of debt to invest in um, SMEs I think uh, in return for royalty streams I don't know quite how that differs from just being paid interest on the investments or dividends but anyway it's structured as re recurring royalties which are now running which are growing and are now just over six million pounds per quarter that looks pretty good now it's paying Duke Royalty is paying a dividend yield of about nine percent now, that is very striking, isn't it? And it trades below net tangible asset value at 0.84. Now, it then dawned on me that this is going to take me a long, a lot more time to un unpick. And I just didn't have the time, uh, as I say, on Friday. But I just wanted to flag it as something for you to have a look at. Potentially interesting, I think. Bit of a special situation. Um, I've, I've heard on the grapevine that management are pretty good as well. I'd like to uh, maybe at some point have a chat with them or watch a presentation. I'll see if they've done any webinars on Investing Meet Company or PI World or um, the other, or Mellow. Um, th thank you to all three of them, incidentally. I find the webinars that you produce absolutely brilliant. They're so useful. In some cases, in attracting me to a company and its management, and in some cases, in repelling me. <laughs> which is a great service. So thank you so much for those companies. I mean, I know they get paid for it, but it's still very, very good. And they're well produced 
And, you know, what I've noticed as well is they don't usually filter the questions. So if you ask a tricky question on, on these webinars, more often than not, it gets put to management and they give a reply. And it's how management respond and reply to tricky questions that I think gives you a nice insight into uh, into how backable they are. So, yeah, more webinars. We love them. But also physical events are great. I'm hoping to get into the city a bit more in 2024 and actually meet face to face some uh, company management. Right. So the last thing I wanted to cover in today's year end podcast was just the themes that I've noticed this year for 2023 and how that these might uh, copy across to 2024. Um the first thing really obviously that we've been uh, that's dominated 2023 was the consumer squeeze disposable incomes caused by high inflation uh, and inflation going ahead of wage rises so the consumers have really felt the pain plus stealth taxes like the freezing of the personal allowances for another year so for most or many households it's been a really quite tough year we've had to cut back on things our energy bills have been sky high we've had to um really make decisions on what items we're going to cut back on we've had to shop more carefully um so yeah that's definitely been a key factor this year hasn't it a consumer squeeze and high inflation i'm pleased to say though that those factors are now actually reversing uh, inflation's come right down now to 3.9% i think it'll probably drop further in 2024 but i don't know for sure that's just my uh, reading the situation and of course uh, uh, wages are now well ahead of inflation and with an 8 9 10% rise in living wage benefits and pensions, which is kicking in from April, plus the 2% NI cut in January, I think 2024 could be a year of consumer boom. I think we're literally going to go from a consumer squeeze to a consumer boom in 2024, which means one of the areas I'm looking at is very closely is retailers, um, hospitality sector. I think those sectors are really going to come alive again. And they're operationally geared, remember? So although they do have a very high percentage of their costs are staff, so they themselves will have, uh, will, I think, see a much stronger demand, but they'll also have um, uh, higher costs themselves. So it'll be interesting how that pans out. I mentioned that last week as well. 2023, we obviously had a sharp slowdown in the housing market in transactions because interest rates have shot up. Again, mortgage rates are now falling quite considerably. Five-year fixes are much, much cheaper now. Um, so I think you'll probably see the housing market coming alive again in 2024. That's already been anticipated in the house builder share prices. Uh, my pick for the year, of course, was MJ Gleason, which has done very, very well. That's up sort of over 30%, I think. It uh, just shows, doesn't it, you know, when you buy these things when they're at sharp discounts to net tangible asset value and everybody thinks... Uh, the party's over you know when you do when when things do change for the positive you're underpinned by your assets and you've got the upside in for free so the house build builders were a very good place to uh, to invest in 2023 as it turns out and may well be in 2024 too uh what have we got oh yeah of course themes of 2023 the rapidly rising interest rates has got to be one of the biggest themes for the year good for cash rich people and companies who are now receiving uh, interest income for the first time in 14 years. I had to actually talk to my nieces and nephews about what interest income is, <laughs> because they've never come across it before. Um, so you do the same if you haven't done already with your uh, next generation, because these guys, guys need some hand-holding, I think, on 
things that are unfamiliar to them. No, it's no criticism of them. It's it's fair enough, isn't it? It's a new concept. And of course, higher interest rates have been bad for highly indebted companies. Um, it, you know, the the the, 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 the zomb not just zombie companies, but a lot of these companies have done lots of acquisitions, accumulated far too much debt. Um, Victoria springs to mind, VCP. You know, those are now looking quite wobbly. And I think that probably continues into 2024. There might be some relief from lower interest rates, which are now looking more likely. But the banks are, are really quite tight now on lending criteria, you know. Um, when I, I'm looking to refinance my two mortgages, I've got two small mortgages on the place I live in and the place uh, next door that I rent out. And um, they're coming up for renewal shortly. I'm not in a rush to do anything because I think, you know, things are moving in my direction in terms of rates. But I did notice when I got the broker to look in the market that the loan to value now that the banks are offering on uh, buy to let is very, very low, you know, really quite conservative lending criteria now. So... What happens to house prices? No idea. But I think because you've got structural, massive structural shortage of housing in the UK, I can't see prices dropping much, if at all, you know. No, I'm pretty... And also, you've already had a sharp improvement in affordability for house prices, because over the last two years, you know, a typical person's uh, wage salary has probably gone up 15 to 20% over a two-year period, whereas house prices in nominal terms have actually dropped 5 to 10% in a lot of areas. So that's a 20 to 30 percent improvement in affordability has already happened so again for that reason personally i may be wrong but i do not see any reason to be concerned about uh, house prices falling much if at all back to 2023 themes we're running out of time here but the supply chains uh, easing uh that uh, practically every company that sells physical stuff has said in the Outlook comments, you know, that the, 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 their supply chains are improving. I was talking to a, an importer, a guy who runs an imported business. He said the, uh, the, the global shipping container sh costs have obviously dropped a lot. But he said, you, you still don't know when the, when the ship's going to arrive. He said it's still, it's, it's certainly not completely straightened out. And more recently, in today's papers, they're talking about shipping container rates shooting up again. I mean, not, to nothing like the extent they did during the pandemic. But because of these problems with the Red Sea, with um, terrorist attacks on, on shipping, which is connected to the tragic uh, events in Israel and Gaza Strip, of course, you know, let's just hope to God we don't see... Uh, an increase in in the violence in that region you know that's got to be really one of the biggest macroeconomic worries hasn't it that uh, sorry geopolitical worries is that this whole oh you know it, this could escalate into a regional war you know you've got bad actors behind the scenes haven't you sort of fighting proxy wars and oh it's just a, a terrible horrible mess um but you know in in, in terms of what we do and the economics of it uh, you know, the threat to, to the safety of, 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 of global shipping is obviously a big concern and that they're having to take the long way around, around Africa, some shipping companies, which will, will obviously increase time and costs. So I'm a bit worried about supply chain. Um, but in 2023, generally, supply chains have mostly eased. Nearly every company has been saying that. But there's also been an issue that customers have destocked in many cases, which has triggered some profit warnings. Um, where customers had built up uh, stocks to ensure continuity of supply, but are now uh, now that supplies improved, they're lowering those stocks, which of course has a knock-on effect to uh, the company supplying them. So it's difficult to untangle what happens there. So I don't know. 
um, what happens with supply chains in 2024. There's potential risk there, isn't, isn't there? Another key theme for 2023 is obviously loads of takeover bids, which is, what, what, which is telling us that the, the, the UK markets are too cheap. When you get this level of takeover bid activity, you know, they're buying them because they're cheap. They're good companies and they're cheap. So it's a shame to see us losing uh, some really nice companies. But, you know, look, if they pay a 40, 50 percent uh, premium, you take the money, don't you, with grateful thanks, because you can put it into something else. And I've had loads of takeover bids in my portfolio, real real portfolio and uh, um, watch lists. So that's certainly given my performance a good boost. And I see more. So I think more more takeover bids in 2024 are highly likely, in my view. I don't think this is a one off. Uh, now, the employment market in the UK has been been very strong. We've got low levels of unemployment. But of course, there are many people signed off sick, aren't there? I think I saw a figure of over two million people are on the sick, apparently. And of course, that's in many cases. They're in a lot of pain waiting for for operations because of all the dislocation to the health system after the, the pandemic so uh, labour in generally in short supply skilled labour which is is generally quite good for for household incomes but is a bit of a headwind obviously for companies so I think I'm looking to see companies making their operations more efficient companies need to automate things and uh, use IT to become more efficient to do more with fewer people I think that's a key theme for this year now Brexit um, in 2023, um, uh, I only only met and uh, only two companies out of the 607 companies we covered. I can only recall two companies mentioning Brexit as a problem. I'm not saying it hasn't been a problem, but uh, in terms of its significance, all the companies I've spoken to, it's one of my standard questions I always ask. They always say, "Oh, it's been a nuisance. It's created more admin, but we've adapted." So I don't think we have to worry about uh, Brexit doing any significant damage uh, to the companies we cover because if it did they would have reported it um energy crisis of course in 2023 caused a lot of problems for companies with much higher costs <clears throat> and do you hedge do you not hedge you know it's a big uh, worry for fds and of course higher labor costs because of government strategy is to increase uh, the low paid to what is it is it i'm thinking 60 percent off the top of my head of median salaries that's their strategy i think it's a good strategy but it puts pressures on uh companies profit margins that, because they're having to pay all their staff more so yeah um and that's likely to be an ongoing issue in 2024 i think ai uh lots of talk about it um you never know do you when you when you see this section on ai and company uh, reports you think how much of this is 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 you know is pr how much of this is real? I just don't know. I'm not qualified to judge that, but it's certainly likely to be a continuing theme, isn't it, in um, 2024? Let's see if we can find the companies that are genuinely using AI and are making money from using AI. That's the key point, isn't it? And finally, uh, Chinese direct-to-consumer companies, particularly Shein and Timu, I think are proving uh, highly disruptive. So for that reason, I'm, 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 I think keep that in the back of your mind at all times in 2024 when looking at consumer and uh, e-commerce companies. Look at them and think, could that be subverted by a Chinese direct-to-consumer company? Um, and it's, that's what worries me about Shoe Zone because uh, the Chinese are selling a lot of shoes online now, dirt cheap. Um, 
that could affect uh, shoe zone i think even if it even if it only takes three or four percent off their sales or something you put that on 60 or 762 percent margins it has a big effect on the bottom line doesn't it Okay, I think that's long enough. That's covered everything I wanted to cover. That, I've just got to say, I'm so glad people enjoy these podcasts. I know at Mellow, loads of people came up to me and said, Paul, I absolutely love your podcast. So it really encourages me because I do them mainly for fun. You know, I just enjoy doing this. And it helps me collate my own thoughts. And sorry if they sometimes get a bit ranty and repetitive, but, uh, uh, you know, you've got to have some personality in things. I mean, it's all going to be corporate and boring. Uh, you know, it's just, it should be fun. And for me, it is fun most of the time anyway. <laughs> so thank you very much for all your support this year. It means a lot. And uh, I hope you've had a good year. Health and happiness as well, not just money. Uh, health and happiness matter more than anything, don't they, as always. Have a lovely break over New Year and I will see you bright and bushy-tailed in dry January. Yes, my most productive month of the year. So uh, see you then. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs>